0: Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
1: The Celtics respond in a big way last night as they give Joel Embiid a great gift after he won the MVP by smashing the faces of the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, that's the Boston Celtics team we all expect to see in the playoffs. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond the Third, better known as RP3. Of course, we're joined inside the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette by the producer extraordinaire, Mr. Dawson Izerlowe. we got a good show lined up for you today. Possibly borderline great show. We'll have to see how it goes. Really, it depends on you, the listener. Yeah, I'm putting the ball in your court. I'm putting the pressure on you. Are you going to interact with us today? Are you going to chop it up? Are you going to call the game hotline 337 Are you going to want to discuss the topics of the day? Maybe go in on the poll question of the day? Because, see, this is the deal. D-Lo and yours truly, we can do what we do every day. We deliver the topics, we deliver the debate, and we deliver you a great guest. But what makes this show over-the-top, spectacular, awesome, and extraordinary is you, the listener. Just saying. I'm not wrong, M.I. Dela. Not wrong at all. No, not wrong. Thank you we got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to talk Saints. We're going to talk Kentucky Derby and so much more. Also, Coach Dez's golf tournament as well. So we got a good lineup for you. Of course, we want to hear from you. You know that. But we're going to start off talking NBA playoffs. Only one game on tap last night. Kind of a lull in the NBA playoffs schedule where we only had the one contest. And, of course, it was Philly v. Boston. And we expect this to be a good playoff series, maybe even a borderline great playoff series. But after Game 1, where James Harden showed up at the arena dressed in some sort of Lady Gaga denim creation for the Met Gala, And drops 45 points. Without Joel Embiid, you're like, ooh, Boston's messing around. And they've done this last quarter of the regular season. They did it in the first-round playoff series against Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. And then, obviously, they start off this playoff series the same way. Well, I don't know what happened. Because the big fella even came back. Made his return the MVP. And you thought, this may be a dogfight of a game too and a game that Boston's going to have to do everything they can to win. Well, this wasn't much of a game. 121-87. to 87? 87. 87. They beat the 76ers with Embiid by more than 30. More than 30. And it was only a six-point game at the end of the first. And you're like, okay. And it was still close. It was only an eight-point game at the break, Dawson. But then I don't know what was said at halftime. there at the new Boston Garden. I have no idea what was told to them because they came out possessed, focused, angry, and just curb stomped Philly into oblivion there in the third quarter and kept it up in the fourth quarter and won by more than 30 points in a conference semifinal game. Just what? They took a game that was They were in control of, but then just destroyed Philly. Philly didn't get great production offensively, and Bede was back. He played 27 minutes, only got him 15 points. Tobias Harris had 16. Harden, after the 45-point tour de force in game one, he gives you one of those other James Harden games, as I like to call them, A 2 of 14 shooting from the field. 0 for 6 from three-point range. 12-point effort. Gross. Gross. Boston, meanwhile, they got 23 points off the bench from Brogdon. You and I had a conversation about Boston And Brogdon steps up in a big way. Look, Tatum only played 19 minutes. He was one of seven shooting, only scored seven points. That's it. MVP candidate, not a factor. Not a factor in a 30-plus point blowout win because they get 15 and 15 from Smart and White. Jalen Brown gives them 25. But this was a total team effort here. Williams comes off the bench, gives them 12, and of course the 23 from Brogdon. So even when their best player, and let's make no bones about it, Tatum is their best player. Even when he has an off night, they still absolutely destroy Philadelphia. Now we expect the the response, right? You lose game one, it's gut check time. They come out, they respond, but I was surprised how lopsided this game was. Ended up being rather.
2: Yeah, no, and uh, well, I would say too the, the the tendency and the and the desire is going to be to say, well, this is the Boston team we were expecting. They're better than Philly overall. This is how the series is going to go. But if you have your index of playoff data points handy, just go back to Miami and Milwaukee, where Milwaukee dominates Game Two and looks. Everyone goes, oh, okay, like mm-hmm. that was a funny little Game yep. One, and this this series is back under, and this you know the the talent discrepancy and the and how good the teams are is nowhere near as wide as we thought that was right with Milwaukee Correct. and Miami we think Philly has certainly a shot here well so they, they have the league this, mvp yeah, so, yeah yeah right and so this you know these i would say a one lopsided result especially in now nowadays in the nba those teams can just flush it and like a lot of things that go wrong in one game just don't necessarily lead to trends so i would say I think Game 3 is going to look completely different than this game did.
1: Well, Game 3 is going to be back in Philly. That's going to be huge. And you're right. And and this this is not... I don't want this to come off the wrong way. So let me give the disclaimer. It's not meant to be. The modern player has the ability to... When things go sideways in a game. We, we've seen this a little bit in, in recent years. Almost not like they give up Dawson, but it's almost like, you know what? Tonight's not our night. We'll get them in game three. Like, it's not a giving up. Oh, man, we're terrible. This team is so much better than us. It's more of, okay, well, you know what? We still stole game one. That's what we were supposed to do. We're supposed to steal one of the two games in Boston. We've already done that. You know what? We're good. We're going to get them back in our house for game three. Like, it's just a different, a little bit of a different mentality. And you're right. Great second half of basketball by Boston. My concern for the Celtics still is this. We have not seen them play consistent basketball over like a four-game stretch since a little after the All-Star break. So, you know, last night Tatum got into foul trouble. That's why he was only held to the seven points. Boston did play better defense specifically in the second half. Holding Philly to under 90 points is a great accomplishment. Boston responded because they needed to. Now it's time for Philly to respond when it goes back to Philadelphia, right? That that That's where we're at here. Now, if Boston can carry this over and go get game three in Philly, then we can have a different discussion and go, oh, okay. Right? If Embiid is still only scoring in the teens, isn't dominating the glass, then you can be like, okay. Maybe his injury and Philly's just they, they can't they can't keep up with Boston. Maybe. But don't overreact to a 30-plus point win, especially in the modern NBA where where you said it. Guys are just built now just to flush it almost immediately, sometimes even in the game. Like, it's just, all right, this game's over. We lost. Moving on.
2: Yeah, and I, I wouldn't expect Embiid to be held it down again. I mean, unless the injury starts to linger, which I, I don't necessarily know. The other thing to keep in mind with the totals we saw scoring last night like, neither team really played their guys in the fourth quarter because of how out of hand it was, too. Yeah, you
1: look at the box score, it's so, yeah, very big, it's very guys, long. Uh, yeah. I yeah.
2: know James Mesh could tell us about some of uh, Boston's reserves that got in there, <laughs> but um, they played some, they played, you know, so so the final... Should they play Bogdan more? Uh, I mean, I think he, play, he plays a lot. I, I think there's spots for him, and last night he was really good. Yeah. Um, for them, though, I think it's kind of a matter of what's working offensively and some of the matchups. That And Philly provides some interesting kind of – like they, they've they gotten what they wanted to offensively, though, so far in the series would be what I'd say. Like they scored – they just couldn't stop them in game one, and here they had another really good game offensively, and this time they had a little bit better uh, defensive effort. So um, I, I think I'm okay with what they've done offensively. But, yeah, Brogdon gives them a nice look, and, and he's been he's been pretty consistent for them. There's a matchup there
1: I feel uh, – I feel like it's a matchup advantage for Boston with Brogdon with what Philly puts on the court. And here's the other thing. Just a few days ago, we talked about Harden's 45-point game. And, what, and what, did, what did we discuss, Dawson? Is James going to play consistent basketball like that? And what happened the very next game? The very next game, he played an awful game. He was terrible. That's what you get with Harden. You're going to get greatness where he ties a playoff record for himself and drops 45 points. And then the next game, he looks absolutely lost on the court. That's always been his game. It's always been his game. Always. And you saw it again last night. On tap tonight in the association for the playoffs. Once again, he only had one game last night, kind of a weird thing in the scheduling. But tonight,
2: you'll just have one game again. It's because they gave Denver and Phoenix seven off days in between their series. I just,
1: I don't understand the scheduling. I, it just, the NBA frustrates me with their scheduling. But it should be a good one. Lakers-Warriors, it's game two in, at Golden State rather, in San Francisco. I keep wanting to say Oakland, but they don't play in Oakland anymore. And by the way, wildly different cities and different demographics and populations. <laughs> just, to, just to throw that out there. But Lakers-Warriors, Lakers stole a game in game one. Once again, we talk about consistency with James Harden. Anthony Davis was remarkable in game one. The likelihood of him playing at that level and taking advantage of the Lakers' size and physicality in game two, not likely. (laughs) I'm, I'm just letting you know, not likely. But we'll see. We'll see if the Lakers can steal game two and put the Warriors on their heels in the Western Conference semifinals. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll shift gears from the hardwood to the diamond. Astros taking on the lowly Giants, and they lost the series two games to three after yesterday's loss. We'll talk about that next, right here on The Game.
0: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU sports update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Before this three-game series with the San Francisco Giants began, the Giants had lost three in a row, and in fact, they were six games below 500 on the season. By all metrics, that means they're bad. Not very good. Well... After the series is over and Houston took game one of the series, the Giants have now since turned around and snapped their four-game losing skid and then won the last two games to win the series with a 4-2 win yesterday against Houston's ace, Framer Valdez, 4-2. Astros are really good on the road and they are not good at home so far this year it's a weird thing it's better suited for the playoffs that you can win on the road right so that's a good thing but at home they have just been off and they've lost some series against to some eh, opponents at home
2: which you weren't expecting. Yeah, not enough of a sample size for me to care too much about the home road splits, but the interesting thing is they've played much better against better opponents, and I think that actually, there might actually be something to that. The weird thing, though, is a lot of your your regular guys aren't in there. Those are the guys you'd think maybe have more of the mindset to play up to their level of competition. You'd think some of these younger guys that are getting an opportunity, they probably, you know, they're there's no they're sense they're of hesitancy. Up. Yeah, right. Any, they're fired up to, get, to right. be in the lineup. But, uh, I mean, you, you just can't ignore it. They've played... All their series wins is foot kind of when we ran through it yesterday. Every series win they have is against a very good team and every series loss they have against is against a bad team. Yeah, pretty much. And that's kind of that's that's been the way it is and I'm not exactly sure why. And again, I think sample size is still a little too small to even kind of take too much away from that, but it is it's been a weird trend so far. Not giving a take
1: on it, just acknowledging it because that's what it's been for the first month of the season. And oh, by the way, they go play three games at Seattle, who is not very good right now.
2: Uh, it's the first uh, lengthy West Coast road trip of the season, in which I will not watch every game because I will not be because staying. Because they're going to be, on be on like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Now, the good thing is, is this three of them are weekend games, so you know I might watch Friday and Saturday's game, although we'll see. But um, Seattle Mariners, and then right after
1: that they, they go, go to Oakland, Anaheim
2: or Anaheim, then Oakland, right? Yeah. right
1: Nine game road trip, which. Hey, Houston's been a better team on the road, so maybe that's what they need. And it's against a division opponents, which is even better.
2: Actually, scratch the Oakland thing; they're going to Chicago next weekend. White Sox. Yeah, little. Yeah. So not a full West Coast road trip, but
1: William, uh, William, well, not William, Wilmer. There we go. Flores Homer, Bart and Slater each had two hits for the Giants. And look, the, the Astros had a chance in this game. Uh, Giants were up. Held a 3-0 lead into the seventh. Alex Bregman, who is slowly but surely turning a corner for the Astros, got the Astros within a run with a two-run blast in the eighth inning. But then Flores added some insurance for the Giants with a solo home run there in the ninth. San Francisco starter Logan Webb yielded only five hits in two runs in seven and two-third innings. He improved to two and five on the season. Farmer Valdez, meanwhile, falls to 2-4 and on the season, allowed five hits and two runs with eight strikeouts. He didn't pitch bad. He didn't pitch bad. It's just Astros are just not quite right right now. And once again, a lot of it has to do with the injuries that they're suffering. Altuve did resume baseball activities this week. We didn't have a chance to talk about this yesterday, uh, but there's still no real timetable for when he'll be able to return to the team. Once again, he fractured that right thumb in the world baseball classic and had surgery to repair the injury on March 22nd. So he even said himself, quote, I think right now it's hard to tell anything is possible. I'm working really hard. I want to come back and help these guys to win, but we'll see. I think the next two weeks are really important in my rehab in quote. So, Once you get Altuve back, it's going to make a difference. Once you get Michael Brantley back, which is supposed to be happening in the next few weeks, that'll make a difference. The pitching staff is banged up, and it hasn't pitched great to start the season. And look, they're right now a mediocre team. But baseball, and what makes it great is that it's a long season, one. And any day, anything can happen. Like, when we talked about in the preseason, Dawson, we gave our predictions. We both said we felt the Yankees would win the American League East, that the Blue Jays would be one of the wild card teams, that the Astros would win the West. I said the Rangers and the Mariners would be two of the other wild card teams. You said the Angels and the Mariners. That's well, May 4th. Right now, the Tampa Bay Rays lead the American League East by four and a half games over the Baltimore Orioles. The Yankees are on the bottom of the division right now.
2: But still playing okay. That's the weird thing. I mean, the, the AL East, I think, and we we both acknowledge that that might be the most wide open race, and everybody's pretty good in that division. So that's, that's going to be... I think that's going to be a summer-long battle. Now, if can Tampa kind of separate themselves early enough to where it's everyone else is in catch-up mode? I Could think be. that's going to be interesting.
1: Rangers lead the West by one and a half games over the Angels. Astros are currently in third place. Go look over to the National League. Anybody had the Pittsburgh Pirates leading the Central by a game and a half? No one. No one. No one! Braves, we both kind of called that. Mets, Marlins are five games back. Philly is on the struggle bus early on. And you look over to the West, yeah, the Dodgers we kind of expected. Anyone thought the Arizona Diamondbacks would be as good as they are right now? Once again, it's baseball, it's early, right? I have to remind people of this all the time. It's early. Do we really think that the Pirates are going to be winning that division at the end of the summer? Do we really think that...
2: Also, real quickly, how bad has St. Louis been? That's been maybe my biggest surprise. It's just how, like, it's been...
1: I did not pick them. I thought they would be better. They have been atrocious. Like, they have been... They're 10-21. and 21.
2: Right, and that's like, I hesitate to make any kind of real feelings about any of the teams that are hanging around 500 because like it's again we know the Astros have hung around there for so long you make a nice run in you know late May early June and all of a sudden you forget about the start correct but if you're that far below 500 the same reason I like look at the race differently when you when you have that good of a start or that bad of a start by St. Louis that's where you start to go okay you know even if you were still figuring things out you shouldn't be that bad and and I mean
0: St. there's only bad.
2: there's only two teams in Major League Baseball. That
1: have less wins than the St. Louis Cardinals. And that's the Kansas City Rolls and the Oakland Athletics. That's it. Like That's where the Cardinals are at right now. Maybe running it back with the pitching staff that they had. uh, Not the best idea. But once again, it's early. It's only May 4th. Plenty of time to get right. But like Dawson said, if your team's around 500 the first couple months of the season, you should be fine. Because you can always improve and start catching up, right? Because it's a long season. If if you are like 12 games below 500, that's a different story. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to unveil our poll question of the day. And we're going to talk about college football playoff expansion and their scheduling. What do we make of it?
2: The college football playoff is expanding. Much needed expansion, by the way. Yes. Um, I've been on that hill for a long time. And uh, it's something I think some people think it's going to water down the regular season. I think they're incredibly mistaken uh, when they say that. They say it's going to make regular season games matter less. Well... How about the idea that right now basically 90% of your regular season games don't matter anyway because you have an exclusive playoff in which only four teams are part of it and certain teams can go undefeated and not be in it. So anyway, that's not necessarily what we're talking about today though because we've you know the 12-team playoff has been confirmed. It's not going to happen for this college football season, but it is going to happen for next college football season. And a couple of days ago we got a bit of a look at the schedule and when some of these games are going to take place. Of course, there's a lot of moving parts. The first round games are going to be on campus, but then you have these uh, bowl games representing the quarterfinal and semifinal matchups. Right.
1: So let, let, let's break it down for him real quick. Absolutely. Okay. First round games, as he said, will not be on campus sites for the 2024 season. That's going to be a Friday, December 20th. And then Saturday, December 21st, you'll have a triple header. Quarterfinals will be bowl games. Okay. That'll be New Year's Eve, which I hate, but I'll, <laughs> uh, will be the Fiesta Bowl. Then Wednesday, New Year's Day, will be the Peach Bowl, Rose Bowl, and Sugar Bowl. So your traditional sites that we've had in this rotation, your old BCS Bowl games, they will still be there, right? Boom. Then the semifinals will be Orange Bowl, Cotton Bowl, January 9th on a Thursday, Friday, January 10th, and then the championship game will be in its on its traditional Monday slot. And it's very similar for the next year, 2025, as well. So that's what it's going to look like. First of all, with the expansion, they're in a bad spot. Because the expansion means now you're going up against with the NFL. I'm not thrilled about a Tuesday quarterfinal game. I'm just not which will be the Fiesta Bowl.
2: I get why they're doing it, though. Well, and it's also, it's not a regular Tuesday. It's New Year's Eve. And so I think I'm I'm certainly okay with it for that reason. And that's always but been college seen, football's day. You New Year's Eve, New Year's Day.
1: But we've also seen the ratings for New Year's Eve games be on the struggle bus because of it, because it's New Year's Eve. And they've tried to avoid that by the scheduling, how they're doing things. But with expansion, you're, you don't have a choice here, right? So you're going to have to put games on New Year's Eve. And on, on one hand, I'm not thrilled about it, but on the other hand, you're talking quarterfinals, right? So we're not putting a semifinal or the championship game on New Year's Eve. So we're talking quarterfinals. Okay, I'm okay with that. But you definitely can tell they've done a strategic thing here with their scheduling for the first two years of the expanded playoff format in 2024 and 2025 of avoiding as much as they can the NFL. That's what, that's what stands out to me after what Bill Hancock, college football playoff executive director, friend of the show, by the way,
2: released here. Is that a smart move? Well, I, I just think they don't think they can go up against the NFL and I don't think that they and also I don't think they want to start a war with the NFL. Um, because I don't know how the NFL would feel about it either. And I look I don't know if they've had conversations or not, but the other thing that's interesting about it is the NFL and college football have had this like kinda long standing agreement about, you know, the NFL not really playing games on Saturdays. There it is. Uh, except for a couple of times late in the season when college football is in between conference championships and bowl games and things like that where you have some open dates kind of that are maneuverable. But the NFL has is, is stopped doing that in recent years. Right. They've started to kind of push back and then just kind of throw games whenever they want. And like, look, the NFL probably has the power and the ratings to do so. I think they would probably win out. So I think what you're seeing with college football is, is trying to avoid those issues. Now, the, the on campus sites on Friday night and Saturday night, look, and I know there's been some people with some pushback about Friday nights as well because that belongs to high school football and, and trying not to. But high school take away football will be done by that time. At least in most states, yeah. Yes. And and so I, I don't think that's any issue there. December, the Saturday, December 21st, one, the first one, um, that's a day that I, you've typically had some NFL games, from what I remember, um, or at least around that time. So. You're going to be interesting here. you got three games on that day, too, so they're kind of going all in on that Saturday uh, afternoon, morning afternoon, late afternoon, evening schedule, um, and that's going to be interesting. I Again, I think the quarterfinals and being on January 1st and December 31st are fine with me because those have been days where college football bowl games have happened. Those bowl games are actually now going to be on the days they've always been on, which you've seen some maneuvering with the Sugar Bowl in recent years with you know certain scheduling conflicts, which... Having the Sugar Bowl at 11 a.m. last year, I thought was a travesty. It didn't make any sense in my brain. Oh, um, it made it
1: easier to get to, but yes, it was not. Uh, it was not ideal.
2: Now, still having the college football playoff championship on a Monday, uh, I've never understood that. I never will.
1: Last year, to your point, I just pulled it up on the schedule. Last year, the NFL had a triple header on December 17th, Saturday, December 17th. It was a triple header.
2: And so we'll see. We'll see, but that, that kind of um, – it's an interesting spot. I think overall the expanded playoffs good for the sport. I think there are some questions to be answered, and you'd like to see maybe the NFL work with them at some point and kind of figure something out for the two sports. The thing that gets, of course, dicey is you have playoffs starting for the NFL as well, and they use both days during the playoffs, right? They're going to use Saturdays and Sundays, and they've even started to use some Mondays. So, But you'll be done by then with the college – Schedule because playoffs don't begin until almost the middle of January. So, well, you'll be done, but then those semifinal games might be running up on that wild card weekend, just depending on how it falls. Well, the
1: semifinals are on Thursday and Friday, so you, you, right. you should be fine there. Look, well, but that's
2: probably because of that. They, correct, they, they avoided correct. it, which having a playoff game on a Thursday that's not a significant holiday, that one's the one for me that kind of goes, well, but, I wish that wasn't like that. But you've decided to
1: expand, there's only so many days on the calendar. So, you keep your traditional Monday night championship game. There won't be any conflict there, Dawson, okay, with the NFL. You got your semifinals. There won't be any conflict there because Thursday night football is already wrapped up by that time. Remember, Thursday night football doesn't go the whole length of the season as it is for the NFL. So, your semifinals, your finals are safe. The only thing that you're really going to have a conflict with – Is the first round on campus sites, you're going to go up to the NFL, which has started to do double and triple headers around the middle of December before Christmas comes. So your first round games, which are going to be your teams that received buys, essentially, you're going to have the the big teams that received buys and then the other higher seeds will be on campus. So your on-campus games are going to have to fight the NFL, and then you – that's really all that you're going to have to worry about because your quarterfinals are going to be on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Maybe you have an NFL game here and there. But really it's the first round that's going to be your your big competition.
2: And – Let's realize though that that's because they went through and selected these dates very carefully. You know what I mean. This isn't <laughs> very. It didn't yes. happen to just. They didn't conveniently pick the dates and go. Oh wow, no NFL games. That's convenient. Um, so I think look, that's going to be that's going to be something that college football I'm sure is going to monitor. Like, does a Thursday, January 9th Orange Bowl for the semifinals for the right to play for the national title, does that do the ratings that they wanted to do? And how does that compare to, let's say, your traditional New Year's Day? Uh, Sugar and Rose Bowl, which have always been on New Year's Day, and people, you know, people build their New Year's Day schedules around the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl, right? I do. Right, and and so that's
1: <laughs> I do. It's all I, I, it's I about making
2: have. people have a, you know be able to make those adjustments to what's the new normal. The two we'll most important
1: bowl games for me have always been Rose Bowl and Sugar. Always, I every year I make sure to watch. If I only watch two of those now, usually I'm covering the Sugar Bowl because I love the Sugar Bowl. But those are the two. Now, I'll watch other ones for good matchups or if I have time or if my wife is gracious enough to let me veg out and watch as many bowl games as possible, I will do so. I also love the Cotton Bowl. I've been to the old Cotton Bowl, the dump of the stadium on the fairgrounds, and I've also been to the new one. But those are the
2: two. You're right. Like I, I, I put it and in I, my calendar, Sugar Bowl, Rose Bowl. I also don't think it's a bad thing that those bowl games now have playoff implications attached to them. It's I perfect. still think they are what they are as far as the bowl. Now – it's gonna be a rotation and the years that those are semifinals and they're played in the second week of January, I don't love that. Like I would honestly I would be in favor of the of the rose and sugar being permanent quarterfinals just so they can stay on January first. Well, the
1: first two years, the way they're doing the rotation is interesting as well. Right? So your first year for quarterfinals is Fiesta, Peach, Rose, Sugar. Your semifinals are gonna be orange and cotton. Twenty twenty five, it's cotton, orange, rose, sugar as quarterfinals. And then Fiesta and Peach Bowl semifinals. So for the first two years, you're going to get the traditional dates for the two most traditional bowls we have, which is the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. Rose Bowl, of course, being the granddaddy of them all, as Keith Jackson would say. But it will be interesting, because right now they've only got it laid out for the first two years, which also allows them the flexibility to tweak things that work or don't work right. Right. That They're going to figure out those first two years.
2: But from what I understood about the plans it will be a full rotation and I would expect Rosen Sugar to be the semifinals in the third year which yes. again for me I'm just well based
1: on the rotation yeah they, they would be the, yeah, the semifinals just,
2: just not a fan of the of the Sugar Bowl being on January 9th it just doesn't feel right but that's but what's happening I understand yeah and they're gonna do it because also those bowl games as historic as they are they still want the most significance attached to them as well I'm sure so and the money involved as well we'll see but that leads us to the poll question of the day we've kind of already hinted at it here today but The question is, should college football feel the need to avoid scheduling conflicts with the NFL, which clearly they kind of are telling you that they do feel the need to do so a little bit, at least in these first couple of schedules. And the choices are, yes, the NFL is king. No college can compete, maybe for big games. And then football, I watch soccer uh, with 6% of the vote early on, which I threw in there for you. But so, so far, 20% have, yes, NFL is king. 27% say no college can compete. 47% say maybe for big games, which... All of these kind of qualify as big games. When I meant big games, I was more referencing like semifinals and finals just because I already had this playoff format in mind when I made the question. Um, but that was my choice was for the big games. You certainly want your own audience.
1: That, that's what I voted for. Look, as cool as it's going to have playoff games on campus, I'm okay having college share the time slot, so to speak, with the NFL. As long as the two semifinals and the national championship game aren't on the same time as NFL, I'm good to go.
2: And look, how about this too? I, I think it's it could be a great thing. Let's talk about that Saturday, right? Which is the day that you've we've talked about the NFL's done some things. They've now that triple header was kind of a new thing having three games right. on that day. Let's have a March Madness style Saturday in which we start games at eleven A. M. as the first college football semifinal and we stagger start times. You got two NFL games, three college games. You never – and you have the games ending at appropriate times because you stagger the start times, and you got 11 hours of football. Who says no to that? That's what I vote for.
1: Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll make sure to share them throughout today's show. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up, though, right here on The Game.
0: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. Or some flavored water. Back, back to more kick-ass, kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and Company on the game, game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's, Louisiana's sports, station. sports station. You
1: know, I take it back. I said something on the air. I do believe it was yesterday, Delo where I said one of the most stupidest things that we have going on in sports media is giving draft grades, right? I take that back. It's the second stupidest thing we do. What's more idiotic than that is let's do 2024 mock drafts. You don't even know what the draft order is going to be,
2: what if you, if you think like, and do you think Drake May is going to fall to four now? Because it could be, if it's, you <laughs> got to think too, if it's doing? the commanders in that spot, are they going to trade up though? Because you could be looking at them trying to package something, go up to two. Maybe Caleb Williams is falling because some people have some questions there. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting.
1: You don't even know the draft order. You don't even know which teams are going to be good. We're doing mock drafts for next year. Uh, why? Why? I just don't understand. I think I'd rather talk playoff hockey.
2: Playoff hockey's electric. Yeah. yeah. I don't know much about what's going on, but it's electric. <laughs>
1: That's what I keep getting
2: told. We got...
1: Uh, I just Our number one's done. I <laughs> just, you know... We got through one hour, second hour coming up. I will try not to think about the pure. You're going
2: to spend the break putting your 26 mock draft together? (laughs) We got some freshmen in college and made an impact last year. Maybe some high school seniors you're going to declare early. You can throw them in there as well.
1: Yeah, because I'm importing my NCAA college football game into my Madden. We're going to get it. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up. You're listening to the game right here.
3: Oh
0: yeah. Oh yeah. Everything. Everything. Everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. 7.03 here
1: on this what day is it again? It's Thursday. There we go. Where'd the week go, d Why'd you make the week go by so fast? Why'd you make that happen? Let's talk about that for a minute.
2: Um, I would have preferred it to go by faster, to be honest.
1: <laughs> you didn't have any car issues this week?
2: Not yet. No, not yet. Um, knock on wood.
1: Knock on wood it's a big weekend. You know, we haven't talked Kentucky, Kentucky. Well, I am struggling with formulating words and having them come out of my mouth this morning. Not for sure what that's about. It's Derby weekend, by the way. It's Kentucky Derby weekend. Running of the Roses. We'll talk about that later on when Chad Schechneider will join us here in RP3 and Company, our friend, our buddy when it comes to Horse racing. He's our go-to. Derby weekend. You also have LSU baseball going to the Plains to take on Auburn. You have the raging Cajuns in desperate need of a series sweep on the road in Funro. Taking on the mighty Warhawks of ULM. Cajun softball. Wraps up the regular season at home after they got a win last night. McNeese baseball is at home. They got a big series against Lamar. They need to win that series if they want to have a chance to move up and get one of those top seeds for the Southland Conference tournament. Astros are on the road to Seattle. There's a lot going on this weekend, plus the Bro Bridge Crawfish Festival. And in sunset, it's the Herb Festival.
2: The Wells Fargo Championship as well.
1: Oh, that's already teed off today.
2: Yeah, Quail and, Hollow, um, Max Homa, defending champion. So that's interesting. You saw Bryson DeChambeau slim again over on the Live Tour. What's that about? I don't know. I don't know. He's he is a weird cat, fascinating guy. And I've watched a lot of his content on YouTube or, or him making different appearances on other channels and. Um, Seems like a guy that might be a little uh, misunderstood, it maybe isn't the best term, but he, he certainly has uh, some different ways of portraying himself versus when he's on the in, in front of media, when he was on the PGA Tour, and then when he's kind of, you know, having fun on his own, off the record, off the course, so I have mixed feelings about Bryson, but... um. Yeah, he's kind of disappeared into the shadows, right? I mean, even on the live tour, at least Kepka came back and then had a big, you know, big performance in the Masters. And, so did Patrick Reed, and so did Phil and all those guys. DeShambo didn't play well at Augusta, and he just overall. Now he's again, he's been transforming his body once again. He was he was really skinny, and then he got really jacked, and now he's back to being like slim. So I don't I don't know what he he's became doing
1: incredible uh, Incredible Hulk, and then made the jokes about what was the joke he made about the masters
2: it was like a par 68 yeah. or something and then he shot like 76 yeah I,
1: he just rubs people the wrong way uh, he's got a little bit of patrick reed in him not as much as reed because reed really enjoys being the villain and that's been the case since his days in college where he didn't like his his own college teammates <laughs> So that's carried over for his entire career. Patrick Reed doesn't even care if he has friends. Like, he just, he likes being that guy. And golf kind of needs to have that guy. To be like, you need someone that's going to antagonize things. DeChambeau, like, antagonizes, and then he's just then aloof and then weird. And it's just, he he's an odd cat would be a good way of describing it. Um. Are him and Kepka still beefing? Is that
2: still a thing? I haven't heard much of that in a while, so I I don't, I don't think I think that that's really died down, right? Okay.
1: I didn't know if they carried that beef over and they had some like celebrity deathmatch boxing match before the tournaments between he and Kepka and DeChambeau. I wasn't expecting you to bring Bryson DeChambeau into the mix here. Well, I saw, it, I saw I saw I saw the
2: new photos of his of his new, you know, build yesterday. So, and then Wells Fargo Championship, which he won't be a part of cuz he's not on the PGA Tour anymore, but still just made me think of it. Would you go check out a live tour event if one was nearby?
1: Let's say one Let's just say one came to Louisiana. Would you go to the live tour event just to check it out?
2: I guess. I mean, it seemed pretty electric in Australia last weekend. I'll say that. Um, I mean, I might. I because I like golf, I mean, I wouldn't. I don't watch it again, like, and I don't follow it. It's it's much less intriguing than the PGA Tour and the PGA Tour storylines to me. But um,
1: one less round, I don't care for. Uh, here's my fundamental thing with the Live Tour: What's the level of competition? Right, like. The best golfers in the world are on the PGA Tour. Now, you can make an argument that Brooks Kepka appears to maybe be still in that mix. DJ still in that mix. But no one's worried about Ian Poulter, right? Or Lee Westwood. Like So there's a bunch of mid-guys that make up the heart of the Live Tour, if you're a competitor, wouldn't you rather
2: take on Rory and JT and well, I think, Jordan Spieth, right? I mean, well, you know, I mean, part of it. I look if you're going to create a new tour, you can't take all the top players overnight. And I, I honestly think the Live Tour did a pretty good job when you look. Now, I mean, they had a few dollars to use to get them, but putting together a pretty good roster. And I mean, yeah, it's it's a mixture of like guys who were elite in their prime, and then you got a couple of guys that still are really good. But I think Kepka's already hinted to you that he wants to be back on the tour. I think you're way. going to see more of that. And now, look if if he's, is he going to be able to? There's going to be a lot of legal implications of that, and I'm sure people a lot smarter than us are going to have to figure out whether or not he's going to be able to get out of some of those contracts or not. But if you're the PGA Tour, I'll say this on that subject: you want that to happen.
1: You because if you're able to take their best guy back or a guy that can still compete for majors, right? you can somehow find a way to bring him back, you weaken your competition. Because what happens if one leaves? Just like the guys that left originally and they started to leave and then it was a trickle-down effect, right? Well, that that goes the same way the other way as well. That's how that works. Now, I don't know the legal ramifications of those contracts. I know I've been told, I've heard rumblings that, there's, yeah, you're getting the 150 or $200 million to go play just as like a signing bonus, but you're essentially signing a contract where you're supposed to show up for every event, and there's other private events that you have to go to, right? So is it a situation where the contract is uh, said, well, you know, is there so many events in the contract, right, where it says, you know, you have to do, on the course of the contract, you have to make 12 personal appearance events. You know, do you go ahead and try to, you know, do all those real quick, and that way you honor your contract? Uh, it's going to get murky. Yeah, but uh, Kepka does feel like the guy. For me, he was the one that was the biggest surprise. I wasn't surprised by Phil. Phil's got a gambling problem. Well-documented. Uh, okay. And they threw him an enormous amount of money, more than a quarter of a billion dollars, right? Patrick Reed doesn't get along with anyone. DeChambeau. Then it was Kepka, and the other big one for me was DJ. Because of all the guys that left, the one that is the most liked by all of his peers was Dustin Johnson. Like, they'll even tell you, like, we love DJ. So that was the one that I went... That's interesting. Like, that was the biggest surprise for me when it came to that. And it's always fascinating with, with, with the PGA Tour and the Live Tour. Because if the PGA Tour would have done some of its due diligence to begin with, we wouldn't even be in this position. Just saying. Just saying. But big weekend on tap. What are you going to be the most focused for for the weekend, Dilo? What's what what's – it's Thursday, bud. You should have your weekend planned out. I know you're young and filled of energy you can just play it fast and loose. I understand that.
2: Yeah, I mean you're speaking sporting specific. Um I don't know. Not a not a big not a huge time of the year for my sport interests. I'll wait for uh once we get softball regionals and college baseball regionals in the next couple of weeks, I'll I'll get back locked in. For it'll be a casual watching. I'll have some NBA playoffs on, you know, and I'm sure. I mean, I'll be covering Cajun softball tonight, so I'll see that game. Um, but nothing that nothing that I have to plan my day around, like being in front of the TV to watch. You know what I mean? Gotcha, gotcha. No surprise
1: road trip up to Fun Road to watch the Cajuns. See if they can score twenty five. Yeah, to 35 it, was a, runs. it was
2: a tough no, but eventually, you know, I just <laughs> just had to put off the, the drive trip.
1: to Monroe. Is brutal, by the way. It is brutal. When I lived up there for a year, a glorious year, in lovely Funro, and poor Malone Stadium was always empty.
2: You know, they're finally getting, um, I think I may have mentioned this before, they're getting turf that matches their colors now, six years after they change the colors on their football field, so that's good for them. It's
1: not a well-run athletic department up there. Not well-funded, not well-ran, not well-supported. It's, 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 it's a lot of struggles. But making that drive through, like, you have to drive through the woods of, like, LaSalle Parish. And you're like, ugh. You're like, oh, there I am. There's the prison. Yay. Is there a gas station I can stop off on the way? No. Not a great drive. And uh, I did that from, like, Alexandria to Monroe. Can you imagine going from here to Monroe? A.K.A. Funro. Did get to cover two wild games, though, for the Raging Cajun football team. First one, I don't know if you remember this, they played in a monsoon. It was the last game of the regular season. It was HUD's last, the the, the next to last year, where they had to beat ULM in the regular season finale to get bowl eligible, and they ended up going to the New Orleans Bowl Bowl Lost to Southern Miss. So they have to win. And it is pouring. It like It never stopped raining. The entire game never stopped. There was no fans. First of all, there's no, never any fans, period. No fans. It is just pouring. And it's myself, Kevin Foote, and Tim Buckley. And we have to conduct our interviews <laughs> underneath the stadium. They carved out a little path for us underneath the stadium to, for us to be able to talk to them. And the Cajuns won the game to get Bo eligible. The next time I went up there was during the COVID season. So, once again, there was no one there again. So, the two times I've been to games at Malone Stadium, it has been empty. Once due to a severe thunderstorm that never left over Monroe. And the second time was during COVID. I was like, there you go. (laughs) There there it is. Shout out. It was just so weird because I worked up there for a year and I lived in an apartment complex that backed right up to West Monroe High School. So seeing how electric the atmosphere would be on a Friday night for a perennial powerhouse, right? Because that's what the rebels are, especially during that time. And how people just flooded and it was a state-of-the-art facility even then. And then go over and see ULM and go, I feel like West Monroe has better facilities than the Warhawks do,
2: for one. And two, uh, there's no one here. Look, too much hate for Monroe. They don't have anyone here to defend them. Um, so, look, you got to...
1: I'm not hating. I lived in... I spent a lot of time the at The only way at is at up, Enox. okay. Down there, it was just the Irish pub. We spent a lot of time there. Had a good time. Uh, Look, I I I lived in a a location that made it easy enough for me to go to Vicksburg uh, for history, because I'm a history guy. And I went to Jackson a few times for some concerts. (laughs) Got to see the drive-by truckers in Jackson when I lived in Monroe. So there's that. (laughs) Got to take a time out. More RP3 and Company coming up right here on The Game.
0: This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Raging Cajun softball team won last night. It was a close game for a little while, and then they had an explosive inning late, and they easily beat Louisiana Tech. 40th win of the season for the program. It's the 24th straight season that the program's won 40 games. I think that's pretty good. You know, I'm not a math whiz by any stretch of the imagination but winning 40 games, 24 straight years. I would say is good. That's pretty good, right?
2: Last I checked, yes, pretty good. Just checking.
1: The fact that they one's not that big of a deal and they will win the series against ULM and they'll be regular season champs and they'll probably win the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. But I have a question. As it stands right now, and we expect them to beat ULM at Lampson Park. That series begins tonight.
2: And you can get updates from me.
1: Oh, courtesy of the d on his Twitter as well as the game because he'll be tweeting at the game. Do they host a regional? No matter what happens in the Sunbelt Conference tournament? Uh, I wouldn't say no matter what happens in the Sunbelt Conference tournament. Uh, they're going to be the one seed, which means they're not going to have to play until next week until thursday
2: yeah it's and now also of note the sunbelt tournament which is hosted here at lamson park this season correct um is going to a single elimination format so that makes things a little bit uh more straightforward spicy not gonna have all the losers bracket coming out this and that lose this game play here win this game play them it's (laughs) it's it's straight up bracket play which uh i don't love um i think diamond sports are designed for double elimination tournaments but Either way, it's not a huge deal. I don't think the Sunbelt tournament has mattered that much to the Cajuns for uh most of those 24 years, to be honest, because they're always, you know, locked up in regional play before that and they will be this year as well. I think early on for like the first 10 years it mattered because it yeah. helped them get into a regional, but Right, right. But for now like with the hosting thing, I think I'm starting to think more so now than before that they are going to host. Um, and, and Foot and I have talked about this a good bit. Like, people complain about the top 25 record, but again, most of their losses are, bet- are from top 10 to top 15 teams. They don't have very many losses at all, and they didn't play a lot of games from teams 15 to 25 in the rankings. Uh, they're currently ranked at number nine in the RPI. Uh, I'll actually have to check and see if that updated after last night's game. I'll pull it back up in a minute here. But Coach Glasgow was on, on Footnotes yesterday, and he told us no team in college softball history has ever been ranked 11th or better in the RPI and not hosted a regional and so now look if you're in the top 16 that doesn't mean you're automatically going to host we've seen that before the Cajuns have had that happen to them in the past that is correct but they're currently 10th so they dropped one spot after uh, last night's game um, which again those 9 10 those those spots are all very close they've got no, kind of this been, is not this is from NCAA
1: on their RPI rankings, and that's at through games as of May the second. So this does not include last okay, night's game. So
2: never mind. So they actually moved up. I use the D one softball one that gets right. updated a little bit off more often. So I think I can probably get a up to date one. So but top sixteen seeds.
1: They're still number ten, even in the NCAA. Correct. Right. Okay. So Oklahoma, UCLA, Stanford, Okie State, Florida State. Oh, there you go. There's your Seminoles. But Northwestern. Texas LSU's at eight, so we'll know they'll host for sure. I don't think I, I think LSU hosts no matter what happens at the SEC tournament.
2: Yeah, yeah. Duke and then UL is at ten. Yes, and on and that's actually they did drop a spot with last night's game um, to Duke, which again, like they've bounced anywhere from nine to twelve in the past few weeks. Those spots are all very. But close. Tennessee,
1: Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia are all below them in the RPI rankings, and they have two teams from the Pac twelve. Washington and Oregon that are below them as well. So some of this some of those SEC teams you know the four of them aren't going to make a huge run because they're all going to be playing in the SEC tournament. So yeah, I I'm, I don't see a scenario where UL is going to drop out of the top 16 for RPI oh, which no. means
2: they won't drop out of the top 16. Now
1: if they drop down to say like 14
2: they won't host. They won't host.
1: Like they that that'll be enough for the NCAA softball commission group or whatever that will decide to say, eh, you know, n- not what. Now, the real discussion is for the Raging Cajuns. Look, so many people have talked about this, and this has become a talking point over and over again. I hear about it when I'm out and about. So I'm bringing it to the show. They want the Cajuns to host a regional. And my rebuttal is this. I understand it's been a while since the Raging Cajuns have hosted an NCAA regional. I get it. You want to do that. You want to have it at Lampson Park. You want to have that home field advantage. I understand. But the more important thing is for them to actually win the regional. And so I guess the question goes, Do you? would you rather... Host the regional, or would you rather be in another regional where you're taking on a more vulnerable number one seed that you may have a better chance of beating? Because remember, this is a team that nearly beat UCLA and they're the number
2: two ranked team in the country. Well, Jerry Glasgow has said the same thing. He doesn't know if it's a good thing to host and be the 15 or 16. Because remember, now everything's nationally seeded, one through 16. It's no longer the days of kind of not knowing and then Correct. kind of regionally pairing. So, if you're the 15 or 16 seed as a host of a regional, you'd be matched up to play Oklahoma or UCLA. Coach Glasgow suggested that that maybe, not, maybe isn't the best scenario. Uh, that maybe traveling as a two seed to a team in the middle of the pack is a more is a better situation where you can potentially ta- win the regional.
1: You're talking about being paired up for the Supers. Right. right. The, the, the I'm, not e- I'm, I'm,
2: I'm not even worried about the Supers. Oh, if it's about winning a regional, you want to host a regional. I think it's a better situation to play in your ballpark. Uh, you've got your fans behind you. Um, you know, look. You'd probably in those situations typically you get thrown an in-state opponent as a three or four seed, so maybe a team like McNeese. Yeah. Um, depends if there's any available, right? Um, now you'd have a strong two seed, and some of those teams again. We're looking at Auburn. You're looking at Florida. You're looking at Virginia Tech, Baylor, Baylor, and A and both beat the Cajuns, and those are teams that could be sent to your regional. But I think you'd rather host a regional. I don't want I don't think you mess with trying to travel to let's say Alabama or Tennessee or Duke and trying to beat some of those teams in their, in their home, home stadiums. I don't think that's what you want to mess with. If your goal is just winning the regional, I think hosting it at Lampson Park, no matter what, is the best-case scenario. Again, though, with the RPI where it is, they need to be in the top 12, most likely. That seems like the magic number. It's very rare that a team that's ranked better than 12 in the RPI, it's actually, again, not, not rare. It's never happened. A team ranked higher than that in the RPI has never not hosted. So I understand again, like I was saying, the Cajuns, the the number, if they don't host, will be that they're two and nine against top twenty-five teams. But let's remember how many of those losses are to top ten, top fifteen teams, as opposed to just top twenty-five teams. And also remember that they're twenty-seven and three against teams ranked twenty-six through one hundred in the RPI. So that's not even talking about you know teams that are ranked one hundred and one to two hundred or two hundred and above. You have twenty-seven wins against teams ranked 26 to 100 in the RPI that are quality opponents and quality wins. So, personally, I think they're deserving of hosting a regional. I think they should be a 12 or a 13 seed as a regional host. But the committee doesn't, uh, they don't ask my opinion. They haven't yet. I'll I'll have the phone ready in case this is the year they call. Um, And we'll see what happens from there.
1: Last time they hosted was 2016. That's when they defeated Boston, Texas, and Texas A&M to move on to the Supers. That's also the last time they went to a Super Regional. It's been that long. It's been since 2016. So they've had to play in the Baton Rouge Regional in 17, 18, then Oxford in 19, Baton Rouge again in 2021, because remember 2020, the great season where they looked like they were bound for Oklahoma City because they looked that good, that got wiped out because of COVID. And then it was Clemson last year. So it's been a minute.
2: It's been a minute. And also worth mentioning, they've been in regional finals in every single one of those regionals since 17, and been in winner-take-all games, sevens of those regionals, I think all but once. All mm-hmm. but the Clemson Regional.
1: So, it feels like it's time for a breakthrough for them to get to the Super Regional round for the first time since 2016. In 2016, that was the fifth year in a row they made it to the Supers. So... We'll see if Jerry Glasgow's team can do that. First up, though, got to take care of ULM. Senior day will be this weekend as well, and we'll have it all covered for you at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. You know, earlier we were talking about how it was a busy weekend in the world of sports, in particular for the Raging Cajuns. Softball team is at home. They're wrapping up the regular season against ULM. The baseball team, they're on the road. They have to go to Fun Row. God bless them. And take on the Warhawks trying to look for a series sweep. The golf team, we found out yesterday, they are going to Oklahoma for the NCAA regionals. But there's one other event that you need to know about involving the Raging Cajuns. And, of course, it's going to be going on down at Cane Row Golf Club in New Iberia this Saturday. It's going to tee off at 8 o'clock. It's a tournament that celebrates Coach Dez and the Raging Cajuns. 30 teams are going to be involved here. And, of course, it's the Coach Dez Golf Tournament. It benefits the Raging Cajuns. In particular, the proceeds from the silent auction in general, a silent auction that's going to feature a ton of sports memorabilia, are going to go to the Raging Cajuns Quarterbacks Club, which benefits Raging Cajun players. One of the most coveted items, of course, is a round of golf with head golf coach Theo Sliman. To talk more about the tournament, is the man who is essentially one of the chairs and founders of this event. Eric Hike joins us now. Eric, good morning
3: to you, brother. How are you? Good morning. I'm I'm, I'm excited. I'm fired up. Thank you for having me on.
1: Now, let me ask you this. If, if I'm able to come down and, and bid on one of these items for the silent auction, is there anything that is part of the silent auction that can help me with my golf game? Because let me tell you something, brother. It is... It is terrible. It is horrendous. You think of the word, and that is my <laughs> golf game.
3: Yeah, well, I think I don't think you're the only one in that boat, and because of that, we have uh, got a gracious donation from UL head golf coach, Theo Sliman. We're going to be auctioning off a round of golf with Theo at Kane Row with three of your buddies, and uh, that's going to be a pretty hot ticket, hot item. We appreciate uh, who is also a new Iberian native, I should throw in as well. His uh gracious donations. There's gonna be all kind of great memorabilia. That's just one of the many items. Um, I mean, we have helmets, we have jerseys, we have autographed pictures, we have, you know, we Deontay Spencer, who plays for the New York Jets, called me. He wanted to get involved. He donated a New York Jets mean green NFL helmet autographed. Deontay Spencer is a New Iberia Westgate graduate. So just many items. Elijah Mitchell helmet. We, we have a lot of good stuff.
1: It's it's a, a great event. I love that golf course. I got to go out to it a couple of times when I worked down in New Iberia for a few years. So l- let's go back. How did this tournament, the, the Coach Des Raging Cajun Classic Golf Tournament, how did it come to be? What, what was the genesis of this idea to even put on this event?
3: Sure. So when Mike was hired, uh, I, I obviously I went to the press conference. I've been doing that The desimo family is a very prominent family in Iberia Parish. And whenever he was hired, I pulled him aside and I said, look, whenever you get comfortable, you, when you get get everything set, we're going to do a big something, a big fundraiser of some sort in Iberia Parish for you. At that time, my good friend Hugh Andre had just purchased Kane Road Golf Course I called Hugh. I said, we need to do something for Coach Dez. He said, let's do it. Golf course is yours, whatever you need. So that's how it all began. Got in touch with Coach Dez, got some dates, and started, started rolling. Uh, had a very successful first year. Last year, we raised almost $90,000. Was able to donate to the QB club about $70,000. And that money for a G5 for Coach Dez is very important. He has direct access to spend out at his discretion on what he thinks his players his players need. <clears throat> Excuse me. So for him, that's very important.
1: I, I want to focus on the fact that it's there at Kane Row. How important was it for you, Eric, to make sure that you guys put on something there in the hometown of Coach Des, where he's from? He's he's proud of where he's from, a proud Catholic high graduate he loves new iberia he loves iberia parish how important was it to make sure to have this event in his hometown
3: oh that was the utmost importance that was the number one goal we want to get people to rally behind coach des we are so proud of his accomplishments he's got a bright future we think this year is going to be a springboard for the next couple of years and so that was at the utmost importance and people in iberia parish have really rallied around coach des and um Looking forward to the event. I think many people are looking forward to it. Come on out, meet Coach Dez, meet his coaching staff, put a face to a name, talk to the running backs coach, you know, the linebackers coach. They're all going to be there. So it's a unique opportunity.
1: Now, Eric, I have to ask you because obviously we're in southwest Louisiana and I've spent a lot of time down in New Iberia, so I know there's plenty of great food to be had. What what you got on tap if 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 a big fella like myself right. comes down to the berry on Saturday, what can I expect to be able to put in my belly, brother?
3: I tell you what, so we're gonna have a DJ cranking up in the morning, we're gonna have Zydeco blasting, we're gonna get the juices flowing, we got a Bloody Mary cocktail bar set up, we got Starbucks donated coffee. We have pasta cooked by Iberia Parish Councilman James Trahom. Oh now. That'll I- be free to the public. Come over, eat, plenty of food and drink. On the course, we have five cook stations. We have whiskey and vine restaurant cooking. We have Community First Bank that does fried shrimp. We have uh, pork chop po' boys. We have all kind of good stuff across the course. So no one is going to leave hungry, including rp 3
1: Brother, let, let me tell you something. You just listed off everything that's good. So yeah, the the pork chop pull boys or pork chop sandwiches, you had me there. Yeah, my wife is probably listening. You said Starbucks. You also said Bloody Marys, which is yep. her go to. And then my daughter loves dancing to Zydeco music. So you pretty much checked off all the boxes
0: of what's needed <laughs> yeah, for the well, Parch family to come try- to an event. That's
3: what we're trying to do with this event. I mean, we we, we love our culture. We love Iberia Parish. We have a great venue, Cane Road. If you haven't been there in the last couple of years, you need to come on out and see this course because it's one of the best in Acadiana. We believe it's one of the best in the state. The amount of um, attention that's been given to the course itself in the last couple of years is awesome. So, uh, yeah, we're excited. We have a lot of great items, like I said. One of the most unique, RP3, and I'm going to mention this because it is a unique item, we have a U.S. Navy SEAL football helmet autographed by US Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill, who is the U.S. Navy SEAL that killed bin Laden. Oh, there you wow.
0: go.
3: Boom.
1: Let me uh so let me ask you this, Eric. So obviously you The the challenge here is that you're also putting on the tournament. So you have all the teams. You had 30 teams register, right? So it's a four-man scramble, right? So you have 30 teams sign up. So you got that going on on the course. At the same time throughout the day, you're going to have Coach Des, his players, I mean, his coaches there, signing autographs, meeting people. You're going to have the food and everything like that. So how much of a a challenge is it putting on an event like this, and how much – Uh, Do you guys depend on your volunteers to be able to step up and make this happen?
3: Oh, I I got a couple of people that have really helped me put this together, including a couple of my staff here at my business. Um, It's a lot. It's a a tremendous effort. There's a lot of moving parts. The community's been great. A lot of the items have been donated. A lot of the food, drinks, obviously are donated. So it takes takes a, a, a village, you know, to put on an event like this, but being it's the second year, we kind of we kind of understand the do's and the don'ts. Last year, we overbooked the golf teams and it slowed the the, the uh, pace of play down. That's why we capped it at thirty six teams. We have whole sponsors still available. Uh, those are two hundred fifty dollars to get a whole sponsor. We have over sixty five whole sponsors thus far, which is a really good number. And so, if anybody wants to donate and become a whole sponsor. They can get in touch with me, Eric Hike, at E-Hike, H-A-I-K, at H-M-G-Law.com.
1: Eric, appreciate the time, brother. Where can people go find even more information about the event? Obviously, they can email you if they want to be a sponsor, but where can they go to find out more information about, about this great event?
3: I think there's a notation on the com website, they can reach out to me personally. We've been posting a lot of good information on Facebook as well. Um, and again, I really appreciate you guys reaching out to us to allow us to come on this morning and promote Coach Dez. We just want people to, to rally around him, buy your season tickets, become a member of the RCAF. I'm an RCAF board member. It's important for us in Acadiana to increase that enrollment. This is a part of that process.
1: Eric, appreciate your time, brother. Thank you so much. Uh, best of luck with the event this weekend, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.
0: This is RP3 and company on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 is the epitome of a high roller. Constantly making large bets.
1: But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a three dollar bet that netted me a cool six dollars and seventy
0: cents.
2: What?
0: Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. Nineteen,
3: hit me. Twenty, hit me.
0: Twenty-one, hit me. Twenty-two. No. Now back to more RP3 and Company on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Really good conversation there with Eric Hike, who's the man behind the coach Des. Raging Cajun Classic Golf Tournament that's going to be held at Cane Row Golf Club on Saturday. I'm thinking probably I'll go down there, check it out. First of all, it's a golf event. Second of all, he said pastalaya. And I know my folks down in the Berry know how to make pastalaya the right way. Not everyone does. People think they do. But they don't. I have faith in my folks down in the Berry, though, to come through here with the food. Just saying.
2: I had the best pastalaya in my life at a two-lane tailgate in the uh, spring of 2012. Wow. Question
1: When you're at a Tulane tailgating event, um, are you required to provide an ACT score just to be able to take part in the tailgating event? Because I know, you know, Tulane is a smarty school.
2: So No, yeah, no, you're not. Um, that's a good <laughs> thought, but no. By the way, I love their stadium, by the way. Yeoman's great. No, it's great. I, I mean, I, it's perfect for them.
1: It is. It is perfect for them. And I. I I know we have ambitious plans for the Raging Cajuns for Cajun Field. Part of me would like them to take the top off. Well, that's the plan. That's the plan. (laughs) We'll see if it happens. Yeah, we'll see
2: if it happens.
1: And make it more intimate and more smaller, because that would give you more of a home field advantage.
2: No, Yolman is is the – I think it's the best place. And, like, I mean, specifically where where we have sat since the stadium was created – when we were going to games regularly is is like the best the best view of the it's football like a game. soccer stadium. It's incredible. And it's um, perfect for two lane. And, and when I tell you they didn't they didn't have an inch left over of space to squeeze it into <laughs> that little area <laughs> no, that they did. They um, and well I that's mean,
1: original they, almost nearly identical to the right, original site. Right. The but There was Tulane some stadium.
2: administrative buildings and they yes. squeezed it in there yes, I they mean needed. just barely. They needed to do that.
1: Um, by the way uh, to our earlier conversation about uh, the Cajuns winning 40 games, uh, our guy Ralph said. So when Deg said they'd win 40 games, he was referring to the Lady Cajuns, not the guys. Ooh. Maybe. Ooh. Yeah, that, that's that, that's fair. <laughs> it's, it's that's uh that's fair. Hey, should college football feel the need to avoid scheduling conflicts with the National Football League? That's based on what we know now the schedule being for the expanded college football playoffs for 2024-2025. First round games, those opening round games on campus sites will be in conflict with the NFL. But then it looks like the quarterfinals not as much semifinals definitely there will be no conflict. National Championship game will not be a conflict.
2: And we should say at least potentially because the NFL does do their scheduling year to year so they And they can flex things yeah, in and out, we'll right? See. And
1: there may be negotiations that happen behind the scenes that we're not privy to as well. Privy, that's a thats a college word. You probably learned yeah, that. that's a good one. There we go. Should college football feel the need to avoid scheduling conflicts with the NFL? 35% of you say no, college can compete. 30% of you say yes, NFL is king. 30% say maybe for big games. 5% say football, I watch soccer. Let's get to some comments. Mr. Green says, hardcore fans will watch their preference either way. However, casuals will watch NFL over college. There's no way to fully avoid scheduling conflicts, but avoidance for big games would be a great idea. Oh, an expansion or not, get rid of Thursday NFL games with the gif of it's clearly garbage. Ralph says, as a football fan, I don't want to have to choose between watching a college playoff game and an NFL playoff game, but with the expansion, it seems that it will happen. I I think you're going to avoid the playoffs for the NFL being an issue, but I think it could eventually expand that way down the road.
2: Give me March Madness, NFL, college football, staggered start times, all day football, one day a year. I want it.
1: Boom. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number two, hour number three. We'll kick it off with Les East of ChristmasCitySports.com. That's next right here on The Game. (laughs) Whoa!
0: Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Izerlowe and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
1: on the clock, which means final hour of RP3 and Company has arrived on this Thursday edition, but not to worry. I don't want you to be sad. There's still plenty of time to hear yours truly, the big, bald, and beautiful one, and Dawson Iserlo, a.k.a. D'Lo, a.k.a. 2 Degrees, a.k.a. the man in the know with all things vermilion and white, and maroon and gold? Is that Florida State's colors? Is it
2: maroon and gold? Did I get that right? Garnet, garnet and gold.
1: Ooh, sorry, I let you down. It's Okay, it's okay. You were uh, close. I let down you, and I, I let down Tallahassee. I've only been to Tallahassee once, by the way, and it was a pleasant mm, experience.
2: Okay, good. You uh, okay? Right.
1: It wasn't. I wanted to go to a Florida State game, just haven't had that opportunity. I do want to go there to, to experience that because uh, it's one of the great programs. Great, great, great environment. Great environment. Um, but we stopped. My wife and I. I went on vacation before our daughter was born, and we went to Key West, and we split up the trip by staying in Tallahassee, and we stayed at a hotel, and our car did not get broken into, and I got to have delicious Krispy Kreme donuts, fresh from an actual Krispy Kreme location. So, I'm all about Tallahassee.
2: South Monroe Street, right there in Tallahassee. You know, my roommate, who who went to UL with me, we didn't know each other, we went to Florida State, he had never had Krispy Kreme donuts until he went to Tallahassee, which...
1: I grew up on them because I'm from Mobile, and yeah, when that red light Orleans. go on oh, yeah. in the morning, my mom would take me, and it was game over, It <laughs> was also probably why I'm struggling to get under 300 pounds, but I am 297. What? Coming up half an hour from right now, Chad Sheck-Schneider will join us from the Fairgrounds podcast. He'll help us preview the Kentucky Derby. That's coming up half an hour from right now. But right now, it's time for us to talk New Orleans Saints football with our buddy, From christencitysports.com, Les East joins us now. Les, good morning to you, my friend. How are you on this Thursday? I'm doing well, Raymond. How are you? I'm doing tremendous, brother. I ran a 5K on Saturday, and I didn't embarrass my family. I didn't fall down, and I didn't pass out. And I finished 10 minutes under uh, what I had put for myself as a goal. So uh, I'm feeling pretty good, bud. Well, I don't think you can ask for much more than that. Yes, thank you. And I got to run it with my daughter, so that was a cool experience. Awesome. Thank you, bud. Thank you. All right. Do you feel the Saints draft hall is awesome or maybe just solid? How do you feel about it?
4: Well, I'm always one who uh, doesn't get too high or too low about the draft when it happens unless it's something that really sticks sticks out as unusual, and I don't think that's the case with this draft. I think they uh, did a good job of utilizing the assets they had, whether they picked or traded and then picked, uh, and they did both. And uh, I think they did a good job of getting value with each of the picks that they used. Uh, and the ones they traded, and I think that they did a good job of addressing most of their needs. I don't think they addressed all of them, but you generally don't have enough picks to address every single need you would like to address. And I think they pretty much addressed the needs in order of priority. They they kind of addressed the bigger needs early and the smaller needs later. So I, I don't really find fault with anything they did. Um, I, I just think it was a, a solid draft from top to bottom. And then, you know, we'll see what these guys do. But based on what they did over the weekend, um I, I don't think he can really criticize anything. Uh
1: Before I get your thoughts on the individual picks, because I agree with you, I think it was a solid draft. I don't grade drafts. I think that's a silly thing to do. Um, but you look and you're like, hey, they, they address a lot of needs, and we'll get the breakdown from you on those individual players. What do you make of the thing that did surprise fans was the trading of Adam Troutman? And and I said this on the air less yesterday, where, look, if if he says that he asked for a trade earlier in the year, um, he clearly wasn't their number one choice at tight end. Uh, he has been surpassed by an undrafted wide receiver turned tight end in Juwan Johnson. And he wanted out, and he wasn't a very productive player. So if you're the Saints, this is a guy that doesn't work out. He doesn't want to be here. Well, let's just go ahead and get rid of him. Uh, But a lot of fans were upset because they traded all those picks years ago to get him. What do you make of the Saints' decision to move on from Adam Troutman like they did on day three of the draft?
4: Well, if there is a criticism, it's probably for all those picks they gave up to get him initially because in three years he didn't um, produce the way they had hoped he would produce. So, <clears throat> a lot of that had to do with injuries, but he also when, he did play in, in a lot of games. He played hurt a lot, didn't miss a lot of games, and when he did play, he was not that productive. I think 60 catches in three years, and he also uh, had a lot of penalties and a lot of drop passes, so he, he did not live up to expectations. <clears throat> so if there's anything to be disappointed in, it's everything they gave up to get him in the first place. And obviously that was uh, Sean Payton's um, preference since he's the guy who traded to get him uh, on Saturday. But I don't say anything wrong with the trade. I mean, it jumps out at you a little bit because uh, that was an area of need that they actually got thinner at because they traded somebody and didn't draft somebody. But they got to the point where they had an opportunity to move up and pick a player who they figured was going to go a lot earlier than he did in the wide receiver from Wake Forest. So they went ahead and made the trade. And at that point, as Dennis Allen said, they were pretty much out of draft capital. So giving up a player enabled them uh, to make the move they wanted to make. And and Troutman was a guy who... um, you know they've been waiting for him to have an impact, but I don't think he was expected to have a huge impact next year. So I don't think it's a big loss. Uh, so I don't really have a problem with the trade that they made. Uh, it was the one they made to get him initially that was uh, not, not well done.
1: So what do they do at tight end now? Because obviously Jawan's their guy. He's their number one. And I expect Carr to develop a good rapport with him, and that would be one of the focus in the offseason here. But they need depth at that position. And really, Taysom Hill, we may have been told, was going to be used at tight end, but he really wasn't last year. So what do they do at the tight end position now that they've traded away Troutman?
4: Well, I think they'll sign a veteran free agent. They have some money available um, under the cap to still bring in a couple of veteran players before training camp, and I think tight end tight end will probably be their top priority. Um, they, uh, you know, Taysom could still be more involved as a tight end. But you're right, he was not involved as much as we were expecting last year. I think he only caught nine passes. <clears throat> Certainly, Jawan Johnson with the new contract is the guy they're counting on the most. I think they believe Lucas Crawl. An undrafted free agent from last year has a chance to be a contributor on the roster, but I think there's going to be someone who's not yet in the building that they're going to expect to have a, a pretty significant role, and that, that's going to be a veteran free agent they're going to sign. And, uh, you know, the wild card in all of this is they were prepared to sign uh, Foster tomorrow from New Orleans and from LSU, and uh, he had the the illness was diagnosed during his physical, and his career is kind of on hold right now. But at some point down the road, it's not out of the question that he could be in the mix. But in the meantime, I think they're going to have to go out and sign a veteran free agent. I would expect that to happen here fairly soon.
1: Now that the first wave of free agency is over and the draft is over and they've signed their undrafted rookie free agents as well, you know, Tight end is going to be something that you say they're going to address. Is there anything else that you could see the Saints try to address before training camp rolls around, maybe adding some depth at linebacker or something like that?
4: Yeah, I think linebacker is the next position you look at because they, um, they haven't addressed it in free agency or the draft, and they lost uh, a starter or, or a quasi-starter in Caden Ellis. We had a pretty good year last year. Uh, you know, most of the time they only play two linebackers, and they have Demario Davis and Pete Werner, who are both very good. So uh, they're pretty well set there. But their depth um, could use some upgrading. And um, you know, they signed uh, Nick Robinson from Tulane, who I think is one of the undrafted free agents. I'm sorry, Nick Anderson, who has a chance. Uh, to maybe make the team and be a productive backup and special teams player. But I I think they will look for a veteran free agent to upgrade the depth there. So a linebacker I think would be next in the pecking order after tight end. And then they could use depth after that almost anywhere. I think both lines of scrimmage and the secondary and even wide receiver, I think would all be in the mix for the right person at the right value. But I do think uh, tight ends clearly number one and linebackers probably a pretty clear number two. We're
1: talking with Les East of CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. we talk New Orleans Saints football. All right, bud, let's get back to the draft. They go with D-line in round one. They don't trade up. They just sit pat. They get a a guy that was a very productive player at Clemson before he got injured. And then in the second round, they go pass Rusher, the young man out of Notre Dame. Very productive guy in both cases. When healthy, both players are wildly productive. They're also known as being high character guys, team leaders. Those are always things that the Saints look for when adding players to their roster. How would you summarize what they did in the very first two rounds and go ahead and Tell me what your thoughts are on the third-round pick as well, the running back out of TCU.
4: Yeah, I think they all, all the picks made sense. I, you know, I think going in, we talked about this on the show a couple of times, that the top priority was defensive line, and that could be a tackle or an end because they uh, had lost players in free agency in both spots, and then it was an area that underperformed last year. Tackle was probably the bigger need. So they addressed tackle first and then they addressed end. Uh, very good players in college, as you pointed out. The one, probably the biggest concern is uh, the defensive tackle's injury history, but he seems to be healthy at this point going forward. Um, so the, presumably that's not an issue right now. Um, so I, I think they both made sense. And they addressed their biggest areas of need. They're both um, versatile guys who give the Saints flexibility in uh, situational downs when they may, might go with three, four, or five down linemen, depending on the circumstance. And they can move them around. So I think they give them a lot to work with there. And then the running back from TCU – you know, a lot of people in New Orleans were hoping they would take Ty J. Spears from Ponchatoula and Tulane, who would have been a good pick, and I think is going to be a good player. But uh, I think that uh, Miller is a more, um, I think he's a more durable player, a bigger player, someone who, like Spears, will start out as a compliment to Alvin Kamara and Jamal Williams. But I think more so than Spears. I could see him being the successor to Alvin Kamara somewhere down the road because he's a big guy who's uh, had a lot of productivity and uh, carried the ball a lot and uh, looks like he can catch the ball out of the backfield uh, even though he wasn't asked to do that a lot in college. So I think uh, he fills another need not only in the short term but also in the long term.
1: We'll wrap it up with this, Les. Uh, You know, they do some of their trading, their wheeling and dealing on day three. Uh, They address some positions of need as well. O-line, safety, even got themselves a third-string quarterback as well and wide receiver. Of the guys they drafted on day three, who kind of really kind of stands out to you and you go, hmm, that's a guy that may be able to make an impact pretty early on?
4: Yeah, I think that's the wide receiver from Wake Forest, the last pick in the sixth round, not, not the last pick in the sixth round, their last pick who came in the sixth round. Uh, you look at his numbers over the last two years, he had you know 150-plus receptions, 2,000-plus yards, big, um, talented receiver, was projected by a lot of people to go significantly higher. Uh, he's said in the interview that he was told, I assume by his agent, that there was some sort of character issue that he couldn't um, pinpoint that apparently led to him dropping, but the Saints seemed unaware of any reason for concern. And uh, I'm, I'm not aware of any particular reason, but apparently there were some whispers about him that led to him dropping. But if you look at his productivity and his athleticism, uh, he should have gone higher than he did, and that's a position where the Saints still needed some depth. So uh, if you're looking for somebody who might get more uh, of an opportunity as a rookie than their position in the draft would suggest, he's definitely the guy.
1: Less Appreciate your time as always. Keep up the tremendous work you're doing for CrescentCitySports.com, brother. And we'll talk to you next week, bud. Thanks,
4: Raymond.
0: This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rockin' sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and Company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants.
4: I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants
0: party. Excuse me? The party. The pants With pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: The wearing of the pants has been a big issue since Dawson came on board. I mean, I have to tell him, like, dude, seriously, I know you have your own studio, your own little room here inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette, but seriously, let's put on some pants.
2: Full-blown, blatant lies that are told without consequences (laughs) or repercussions.
1: Uh, Not to worry. He's fully clothed. Always. Whew. Les says the same thing that I say. It was a solid draft class for the Saints, right? They address positions of need, and he's going to go out and find themselves a tight end. Probably a veteran guy. They're high on the guy that they had on the roster from last year. That said, they still need to address the tight end position. Taysom Hill's not that guy. It's it's a whole farce that Taysom Hill is a Saints tight end. Did you see how he was utilized last year or not utilized at all? He wasn't a tight end. That was a whole farce. It was a whole misdirection. He is the Wildcat quarterback. He is the joker role. He is not going to be the starting tight end for this team. The starting tight end is Jawan Johnson. They gave him the contract. They believe in him. Derek Carr is going to work with him in the offseason. I would expect Juwan to have a big year, but they still need someone to be the backup. It's not going to be Taysom Hill. They'll go sign a veteran, period. And I agree. I think that's going to be their approach, and that's what should their approach be. Look, they may like the kid that they took last year or signed as an undrafted rookie free agent a year ago, but he's going to be your third-string guy. You, You do need to carry three tight ends. Taysom's not that guy. I'm just going to stop all that nonsense now. Taysom is not that guy. Not going to be that guy. Poll question of the day. We asked you, because we love asking you questions, because we love to hear from you. We love your insight. Should college football feel the need to avoid scheduling conflicts with the National Football League? This is based on the fact that we now know the college football playoff schedule for 2024-2025. That's when it's expanding. So the first round games will be on campus sites. There's going to be conflict there because they're going to have those on Friday, Saturday. Well, the NFL in recent years has played at least two games last year. They did three on that same Saturday in December. So that's going to be a conflict, but you can tell that the college football playoff committee looked at that and said, okay, we're going to have to go up against the NFL that very first week. But after that, They've pretty much avoided it. Quarterfinal round, which will be at some of the traditional bowl games, the New Year's Six bowl games, then the semifinals and national championship games. So for the most part, at least what's on paper for 2024 and 2025, they'll avoid going up against the NFL, except for that first round of games, which will be on campus. But should they try their best to avoid it as much as possible? 35% of you say, no, college can compete. 30% say, yes, NFL's king. 30% of you say, maybe for big games. 5% of you say, football, I watch soccer. You know, overseas, they call it football. Football. And apparently, everyone's trying to get in. If you're a famous person in America, you're desperately trying to buy a soccer franchise, which apparently is now the new thing since Ryan Reynolds... Was able to turn around a franchise in what two years? I don't understand that whole thing where you get sent down to like essentially minor league soccer if you don't do good enough,
2: right? Is that how this works? That would be relegation systems, which I actually love. I wish we had it in college sports, I wouldn't even mind it in the NFL. So essentially you're going to take. How could you have it in college sports? Because if a program goes no, it down, would never, it would
1: and, never work And ever. you regulate it, then you're probably going to lose funding as no, well, and then you bury the program. No,
2: look, I, I'm, it, it wouldn't actually work. Okay. I just okay. think it'd be cool. But in the, in professional sports, which is what it is in soccer, I, I think it's an intriguing model. It essentially you want to talk about, you know, the tanking issues that leagues have tried to attack. How about that for tanking issues. If you're not good, then you can have fun playing in the minor leagues. That's so. Essentially, you have two 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 leagues, and the top. You know, 5% of your bottom league gets promoted to the top league every year, and the bottom 5% of your top league goes down. So it happens every year? Uh, I think it depends, but yeah, I think for the most part, that's how it works, yes.
1: Interesting. See? See? That's a little football talk for you here on RP3 and Company. You're welcome. Yeah. It's a service we provide. Chelsea
2: and Arsenal and all those.
1: I know all of those names. Yeah. Uh, B-Rad on Twitter says college can compete. I wouldn't have to choose between them thanks to YouTube TV, my smart TV, and a tablet with a 12-inch screen. And fans that don't have those things are going to flip back and forth.
2: It's a fair point. Not even an ad there, but that was well-descriptive uh, thing of how he's got his setup going. Shout-out to B-Rad. I'd, I'd love to see a picture of that setup. Ton says, I prefer college
1: ball, but they can't compete with the NFL on TV. So for big games, yes, they should avoid those conflicts. Our guy, Salty Steve, I think Ghostbusters said it best, never cross the streams. Wednesday is open, then everyone can have football every day during the season. I'm old enough to remember when football wasn't played on every day of the week. It wasn't that long ago. Like, it was, NFL was Sunday and Monday night. And you got to stay up late as a kid to watch Monday night football. And it was a big deal. Now the NFL is Sunday, Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night, and late in the season, they play on Saturday, and they play on Christmas Day, which used to be nothing but for the NBA. So the NFL is just absorbing all the days. And I'm also old enough to remember when college football was Saturday. Keith Jackson on the call for ABC Sports. Like, I remember that. Even when it got to the point where you were watching SEC games on Jefferson Pilot back in the day, it was still Saturday. And then you started having the Mac play on Thursdays, and you're like, okay, I get it. But now we have college football games on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. It's a little much. JPK, the OD, says the NFL is king except for Thursday night. Football, Thursday night football sucks. The annual Sunday morning London matchup of Jacksonville versus Tennessee isn't as bad as Thursday night football. <laughs> Hashtag what channel is it on this week? Joe says, in the South, college can compete with the NFL for ratings. Nationwide, it's no contest. NFL is king. And Doug, our guy Doug, there's NFL fans and college fans. I would prefer bowl games to go like this, Rose, Sugar, and Peach. will not have to worry about weather messing things up. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll update it before we sign off on today's show. But right now, we got to take a timeout. When we return, oh, man, we're going to get a Kentucky Derby preview. That's right. It's Derby weekend. That crept up on you, didn't it? Sure did. Chad Sheck Snyder from the Fairgrounds podcast will be joining us to help us preview the Kentucky Derby. That's next right here on The Game. Bum, bum, bum. Kentucky Derby, the running of the roses, is this weekend. That's right, snuck up on you, didn't you? Snuck up on you. Forte, though, is the three to one favorite for the Kentucky Derby at Churchill Downs. Blazing Stevens is out of the Derby. Jace's Road gets in, and we'll dive into all of that here momentarily on RP3 and Company as Chad Sheck-Snyder is joining us. That's our guy from the Fairgrounds podcast. It's been a minute, Chad. Thanks for making the time, brother. It's Derby Week. How are you?
5: Doing good, man. Doing good. It's a little early to start sipping on bourbon, but uh, sure those mint juleps will be making its way around here pretty soon. But uh, yeah, exciting time of year for horse players, for sure.
1: So Let's touch on the thing that's kind of caused a sensation this week and that was of course the rash of horses that have died. What can you tell us and just how much of a shockwave is that for the actual Kentucky Derby during Derby week?
5: I know I think a lot of it's circumstantial. I think one, I know on the turf had a heart attack. Um so it wasn't a, a breakdown as far as like a a horse crippling or something like that, or, or breaking a sesmoid a, a bone, bone or something like that. But um, two others, I, I don't know if, if they reported they died. I know two others had um, kind of like a little wreck in the race, but both horses made it back to the barn fine. I, I mean, I don't know. A lot of that stuff, it comes and runs um, when it happens. It gains a lot of attention nationally, obviously. Um, it's, not a, it's not a great look for the game for sure at any point. Um, but I really think it's just one of those things that, it kind of happens all at once, and then nothing happens for, you know, six, seven months at a time. Certainly, you don't want to ever see it happen, um, and definitely not during Derby week when there's so many eyes um, on the game that's not really focused on the game the rest of the year. So, you know, I, I really can't point to one thing. and I don't really think it's one thing, um, but uh, certainly not a good look.
1: Yeah, and, you know, this, you have that happening, but then you also have Wild on Ice. Who had to be euthanized after an injury during a, a derby workout last week? Uh, I do you believe that was on uh, Thursday? You know, it, it gets a, right. a lot of attention, uh, but for those in the horse racing uh, community, these these type of things sometimes happen, right? With a broken leg, or sometimes a horse will have a heart attack. It, it's unfortunate and it's sad, right. but this this I mean this does kind of happen from time to time when it comes to horse racing, right?
5: It does, and there's so many checks and balances now. I mean, they, they're not afraid. They got veterinarians at the gate now right before the race, and they got these horses. They check them over before they I – mean, between the time they leave the paddock and the time they go into the starting gate, um, you know, there's veterinarians sitting out there going through these horses, checking them over. And in some of the biggest races of the, of the year, um, they've scratched horses at the gate that, you know, seemingly trainers will tell you that's just the way they are um or the way they look or the way they're they're walking um but they don't want to take any chances so they' they're very overly cautious when it comes to racing these horses now since there's so many eyes on them and and um that's gotten a lot better in recent years, and you know they they are overly cautious when it comes to them on a the track so uh, an accident that happened with wild on ice very unfortunate um you know they, they those connections have had some some bad luck happen to them but yeah, it's certainly one of the parts of the game that, that's tough to deal with. From, it's, I mean, you know, think about how bad you feel if you, if you really like the horse you could bet on it. But imagine being the owner of that horse. You know, you have once in a lifetime uh, chance at the you know to run in the Kentucky Derby, and he was from an obscure part of the country down in New Mexico. So, um, you, know, the, you know, the chances of that guy getting back in the Derby with that kind of horse is very very small.
1: All right, let's let's move forward and, and talk about the race Forte, which is trained by Todd Fletcher, uh, One of the best trainers of all time it's the betting line favorite as it stands right now three to one odds what makes forte so good
5: yeah he's a two-year-old champion you know he's done nothing wrong he's won six out of seven starts i believe his price is probably going to float up i mean there's a little bit of buzz on him the last 24 hours or so but a lot of handicappers have been trying to poke holes in this one um you know todd fletcher and brad cox they hold a very formidable hand here with seven of the 20 horses so Cox is starting four of them. Pletcher has three, and Pletcher's likely to have the top two choices. Um, and, and Forte, look, he's he's done nothing wrong. Like I said, he's tactical. He comes with his run. He's very honest. Some people are poking holes a little bit at his breeding, saying you know he might not want to go that far. But uh, you know, on strictly talent, uh, he he's got the he's got the talent to get it done. Um, in a 20-horse field, nobody really wants to go towards the favorite, but. Um, certainly I, I don't think he's going to go lower in price i think his price might drift up if it goes anywhere so um you know you might end up getting four or five to one on him if you really like him i can't knock him at all i mean the horse has, horse has done nothing wrong he looks he's been looking good all week up there at Churchill so certainly a horse that um i, I think you have to cover in your picks um you know from a, from a betting perspective
1: now you mentioned Todd may have one of the other favorites as well and i'm t- uh, i would assume you're talking about tap at trice right five to one favorite
5: yeah, the big, great Tappet Trice, he's got a beautiful stride on him. He won the bluegrass, just, you know, past verifying pretty easily in the stretch in, of, of, in the and Keeneland, his last start. You know, this horse, if there was a future bet for the Belmont, there'd be a lot of people picking this horse into Belmont, you know, being by Tappet, who's thrown, you know, more than his share of Belmont winners. But he's never had a Kentucky Derby winner, the Sire Tappet. He's one of the best in, the, in North America. This is his, probably one of his best chances here with Tappet Trice, He's got a big, long stride. The problem with Tap Trice is a lot of people going a little cold on him. The, the, the connections wanted him to break from the outside. He, he tends to break really slow. And the fact that he drew the five hole here um, has his connections. A little worried it's him getting away from the gate and not um, – he doesn't break well. So a lot of those horses could compromise his trip. So, you know, he's got a comfort behind running style. His style works pretty well. He hasn't been stopped yet. He's found pretty clean trips to the winner's circle. But – Going around five, six horses in the stretch and trying to pass 12, 13 horses could get a little tricky and compromise him. So he's going to be mu- have to be much the best. I think he's probably the most talented horse of the three year old crop. But as we've seen, right, you know, the, the Kentucky Derby, the, the most talented horse doesn't always win. The, the, the best horse doesn't always win. It's the horse that gets the right trip to, on, on the right time.
1: We're talking with Chad, Sex Snyder of the Fairgrounds Racing Podcast. He joins us here as we preview the Kentucky Derby. All right, let's go away from Todd's two horses, which are two of the betting line favorites. Give me some of the other horses that you like heading into Derby weekend.
5: Well, certainly, uh, you know, let's talk about Keith DeSormo, a guy from uh, from Maurice out there in Lafayette. Keith Sormo trainer, has, um, has confidence game in the race. He's the full horse. He's 20 to 1 in the morning line. You know, Keith is uh, not shy to be unorthodox and do his own thing. He was second in this race with Exaggerator a few years back. He's taken on um, an unorthodox approach here, bringing this horse in off about 70 days' rest. He hasn't been seen since winning the Rebel, which was in the Slop up at Oaklawn. You know, he's got the 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 ownership group of Don't Tell My Wife Stables, which is pretty cool. Um, Some local guys, and they they like to have a good time and party. And they've they've been up in Louisville all week. You know, this horse is kind of a wild card. He, He. You know, if Keith, Keith, this can pull this off and train up to the Derby with this horse by not giving him kind of one of those last prep races, it would be very impressive. And he's looked great in the morning. The clockers have been raving about him. Um, His work's been really, really good. You know, the big question is can he get the mile and a quarter distance off this big long layoff? But he seems to be very bullish on him, um, very confident. And I expect a good effort out of confidence game at that price. I think he'll be one of those horses you'll see on the lead. Um, He'll be in that top two or three going into the first turn. So he'll get his name called. Uh, I just don't know how long he could take the lead um, into the stretch, but certainly one to watch as a long shot. I think another big long shot I like is a horse named um, the uh, number nine horse, Skinner. He's coming from California. There's not a lot of buzz about California horses this year because there's no Bob Baffert in the race. Um, so people kind of, you know, sign away from these California horses. But keep an eye on, keep an eye on this horse, Skinner. He's closed pretty well. He's had some wide trips lately. In his last two races, and um, you know this horse is campaigned by John Sheriffs, who won here with a with Giacomo back in a day at a long price, similar running style too. And uh, he drew very well in the ten hole. And I, I think um, you know he's got Santa Anita's leading rider, this, this kid JJ Hernandez, and he's going to be a big price on Derby Day too. So that's a couple of long shots I think you can uh, mess around with a little bit.
1: Tell me a little bit about Angel of Empire. Uh, you know, won the one point two five million Arkansas Derby in april that's always one of those great tune-up races for the kentucky derby uh what is there to like about angel of empire
5: angel empire is one of those horses um <laughs> i picked him in the risen star when he won at about 14 to 1 he was the podcast pick that 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 weekend and we had a good weekend with him and that now it's just kind of funny that i'm gonna have to swallow probably a less price on him in the kentucky derby than and the, and the risen star, but he's just gotten one of those horses that just grew up and, and got real good at the right time. Um, and his his run in the Arkansas Derby was super impressive. The way he drew away from that field, um, you know, Brad Cox has is, is trained this horse. Um, you know, he's always thought this horse would be better going longer, and as he got older, um, he, you got I got I could poke no holes in this horse. I think he could get the right trip. He's actually the one I'm probably leaning toward putting him on top. Um, and making my win place bets on him and trying to key some stuff around him i hope they get around 10 to one he is um you know he's up there at eight to one in the morning line we'll see how much money he takes when it all you know when the dust settles but um angel of empire has a big big chance in this race all
1: right brother i'll get you out here with this um i kind of put you on the spot here and i know you're still waiting but um, who do you like uh, to win and uh, to place and to show for the Kentucky Derby on Saturday there in Lexington?
5: Yep, so I'm, I'm going to take Angel of Empire on top. I'm going to sprinkle in some Tappet, Trice, and Skinner underneath, um, maybe with some confidence game, and, and, and disarm. I think um, Steve Asmussen had his heart broke last year with Epicenter, and he's really flying under the radar with this horse, Disarm, who he was very, very high on at the fairgrounds you know, back in the fall. He thought this was one of his best three-year-olds. This horse was a little slow to come around, but he seems to be getting really, really good right now. And um, so he's going to be a huge number, 30 to 1. So if he can get in the exacto the try, you know, maybe try to get Skinner in there under Angel Vampire, it'll be a good derby. So uh, those are the ones I'm playing around with. All
1: right, brother, tell the people where they can go to get the Fairgrounds Racing Podcast and when you're going to be dropping uh, the latest episode.
5: Yeah, I think we're going to do, we didn't get to one this week with all everything going on. We're going to definitely do a triple crown one probably for the Preakness and the Belmont um all the apple podcasts, uh, you can reach it on uh, follow me on twitter at Shexnola. uh do some updating this weekend i'll probably throw out some pics on twitter um as the days goes on tomorrow folks day and on and on derby day so um apple Podcasts and then on twitter and anywhere you can get it just type in Fairgrounds racing podcast
1: chad appreciate the time as always brother enjoy the derby this weekend my friend
5: rampy you too man appreciate it
0: This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants? Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Austin's on the air from our sister station, News Talk, 98.5 FM. It's hosting Downtown Alive this Cinco de Mayo. Join all of us at Delta Media Corp at Downtown Alive this Friday for Nathan Williams and the Zydeco Cha-Chas, followed by little Nathan and the Zydeco Big Timers. Gates open at Park International at 5 p.m. on Friday. Once again, Austin's on the air from our sister station, News Talk, 98.5 FM. Hosting Downtown Alive this Cinco de Mayo. So much going on. So much going on. Dawson's social calendar is filling up rapidly. He's a man that's in demand. Which is how it works. When you have extraordinaire as part of your title, this is what happens. People want you. They need you. And they can't get enough of you. Isn't that right, bud?
2: We'll go with that. Sure.
1: (laughs) I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Eric Heich. The man behind the coach, Des Raging Cajuns Golf Tournament, is going to be held down at Cane Row on Saturday in New Iberia. Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. And, of course, Chad steck from the Fairgrounds Racing Podcast. Poll question of the day. Should college football feel the need to avoid scheduling conflicts with the NFL? Once again, this is based on now we know the schedule for the expanded playoffs for 2024, 2025. First-round games are going to be on site. That's going to be on like a Friday-Saturday, many of them on Saturday, which is probably going to compete with NFL. But then after that, they've kind of avoided having any conflicts with the National Football League. 36% of you say no, college can compete on its own. 30% say yes, NFL is king, they should avoid. 28% say maybe just for the big games. And 6% of you say football, I watch soccer. Shout out to those folks that watch soccer. We did have some soccer talk on the show earlier today. You broke down this thing where the teams come up and they no, and, come down. and
2: look, I'll, uh, that's a promise for a future date. Um, especially like I've been thinking a lot about the summer when 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 you've only really got major league baseball. I'll do a whole relegation delegation uh, segment at some point. Explain to the people how, how it's how it's a great it's a great concept. Great. It's never going to happen in Amer- in American professional sports because of the dollars and cents and the way this things things are structured, but. There's a lot of money in uh, European football, and it works over there. Soccer
1: aren't the most high, aren't the highest paid athletes on the face of the planet. Soccer players,
2: um, I believe revenue generating. Yes, I don't know about contracts and stuff okay. like that, but right. yeah, no. Right. I mean, look at the the Instagram followings for the guys like Messi and those guys. It's crazy. I can't wait
1: to call in sick that day that you decide to do that during the summer. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I like to be educated. For the producer extraordinaire, Dawson Eiserloh. I'm Raymond Parsha III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow on Friday, six to nine. But
5: until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on the game.